welcome to Legal Management Talks, the official podcast of the Association of Legal Administrators. I'm your host, Kate Raftery. Today, I'm interviewing Eric Wangler, president of the North American division of the Big Hand Legal Software Company, about their latest report on legal workflow trends for mid-sized firms. The conclusions in this report came from a recent global survey of over 900 law firm operations, HR, and support professionals. And best of all, Eric is fresh off of detailing some takeaways about legal staffing at ALA's own 2021 virtual annual conference and expo. Welcome. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks, Kate. It's, uh, It's great to be here. Great. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your work for those who don't know you? Yeah, happy to. Um, again, I'm Eric Wangler. I'm the president of Big Hands North American Business. I also look after uh, our workflow products globally. So there's a little bit of kind of touch point there. been working in legal for, for 25 years now. So I spent 17 years in legal outsourcing with uh, Icon and Rico before I joined Big Hand about eight years ago. Just kind of an overview of Big Hand. We're a, we're a software development business purely. Um, we work exclusively with law firms in North America. So and, uh, this is where our knowledge base comes from, and uh, we love talking about it. Great. So let's just dive right in. Um, the original survey of the 900 or so people was conducted in spring 2021, and then Big Hand subsequently drilled down to examine mid-sized law firms specifically. Obviously, given that time frame, COVID-19-related developments are top of mind. How has the pandemic altered the conversation about back-office workflows? Well, in a lot of ways, it's changed everything, of course. And it's interesting, I was thinking about this earlier today, is you know, we're, we're 20 or so months into this, you know, turning the corner on two years. And I think you know, the firms that we work with, the law firms that we work with, would all agree that you know, the, the move to get everybody working from home was difficult, but uh, it was manageable because everybody was in the, the same situation. But as firms are, are trying to get more and more people back in the office, it just creates you know, new and, and evolving challenges. So if we look at kind of the survey data, and I guess just to note, we'll be talking about the North American data, which was about 420 firms. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, what we're finding is firms have a real challenge on the recruiting side, and the, the data bears that out. So when they're thinking about their back office staff, um, and they think about trying to replace those folks as they leave, uh, 60% of the firms rated it a 7 or 10 out of higher, or higher rather, on a kind of a degree of difficulty scale. So they're really having trouble recruiting for replacements. Many firms are, are moving to kind of a specialized or centralized teams environment and moving away from the more traditional relationship-based support, which many, and particularly in the, in the mid-tier, are finding to be unsustainable because, again, they've got these, uh, these recruiting challenges and, and it's just not the best way of working. So I think, you know, overall, one of the challenges that these, you know, mid-tier firms, say between 50 and, and 100 lawyers, is they've got less staff to work with, which says they need to get it right. And the loss of a key, a uh, few key contributors can really can really hurt the business. So now those are some of the challenges I think they're all facing. And um, it's it's not not altogether easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I keep seeing things that reiterate that. I think I was just looking at a Thomson Reuters survey on Monday about how I think staffing concerns are top three uh, concerns among um, business leaders at firms right now. So it's exactly. Certainly... I think, you know, traditionally that focus has been on uh, the recruitment of lawyers, but I think now we're seeing that the staff is, is just as big of a challenge. Yeah. Um, and we can go right into this question, which addresses that as um, one of the most interesting figures to me was that 45% of these firms were concerned about lawyers doing non-billable administrative kind of work rather than delegating to their support staff. Um, this is a larger share than was found among larger firms. And at the same time, many mid-science firms already reduced their staff headcount, some of them during the pandemic, and most are expecting to lose between 40 and 80% of their people in the coming years due to attrition and retirement. 
How can firms reverse the trend of attorneys handling low-value tasks, even as staffing numbers are being squeezed from multiple sides? Yeah, it's a real problem. I think um, yeah, the interesting point about the stat was, again, 45% of the mid-tier firms are concerned about attorneys handling non-billable work versus 30% of the broader group. So clearly, you know, in this kind of cohort, that's a, that's a real challenge. The scary stat to me is the attrition and retirement numbers. So uh, again, I'm not sure there's another industry facing this kind of pressure on staffing where firms are expecting to lose between 40 and 80% of their legal support staff over the next five years due to attrition and retirement. Again, even if you just think about the low end of the spectrum. So uh, imagine of any business trying to deal with the loss of, of 40% of their, of their tenured staff. Mm-hmm. The reality is, you know, those folks have been doing this for a long, long time. Um, they know how to support lawyers, you know, better than, than the, the lawyer probably knows how to support themselves. And there's a, a pretty significant amount of institutional knowledge that's going to leave with them. So again, we, we just were discussing that the challenges that firms are having to replace staff as they leave, and, and they don't really have a lot of time or ability to, to transfer that knowledge. So I think a lot of this is driven by the fact that the mid-tier firms are typically more often in a, a kind of a relationship-based support structure where you know, a secretary looks after two or three lawyers and kind of mm-hmm. does all the work that, that maybe they generate. So when that person's unavailable or, or, or overwhelmed, they really probably don't know where to turn uh, the lawyers. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's a particular challenge when either the lawyer or the, the secretary or the staff member is remote. So they end up just doing the work themselves for lack of kind of uh, an ability to find somebody else to do it. I think probably the difference between the mid-tier and the larger firms is that uh, most of the larger firms or many of them have team structures in place where additional support is readily available and they've kind of got systems to support that. So, you know, what we see a lot of firms doing is putting teams in place that can handle the, the non-legal kind of entry-level clerical work that takes that burden off of their more experienced and, uh, and customer-facing uh, support staff to allow them to do more value-added work. You know, obviously, we're a, uh, we're a software development company. We make workflow software. Uh, so mm-hmm. an obvious answer to us would be deploying technology to support these engagements. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it gets to the structure as well. I wonder if, if people worry because they are more relationship-based that they might lose that if they that sort of sense of community, that sense of culture, if they move to a, to a team-based structure, maybe they're worried that it, it'll turn into more of the uh, kind of help desk sort of thing where it's just you put in a, a ticket and it just disappears and, and you never know. But it certainly doesn't seem like that has to be how it, how it, how it works. Um, and again, it's a good point. I think, you know, this every firm of every size is struggling right now to, to maintain their culture. It doesn't need to be a law firm, right? You know, corporations mm-hmm. and, and software development businesses are dealing with the same thing. But at the end of the day, you know, you don't want to strip away where you've got a good relationship and good success. More often than not, we've actually seen some firms, some of the firms we work with, some firms that, that we don't work with yet, who have gone to um, taking their more tenured uh, legal secretaries and making them more of a, a kind of a concierge type type role. So really, mm-hmm. their job is to look after typically a, a larger number of attorneys moving forward, but doing less of the work themselves and more so acting more or less as a project manager to make sure mm-hmm. the work's getting done by, say, a centralized team or you know, some support staff at a different level who are better trained, better equipped, and more efficient at doing that type of work. Yeah. And that sounds like a great career development uh, option exactly. for, for those you, you people put, as well. Yeah, you're able to put people on a developmental path, which in a lot of law firms today, there's there's one job, legal secretary, right? So where is that person going to go? How do they evolve? And how do you bring people in at an entry level and get them trained up? Mm -hmm. So along with that kind of retention line of questioning, um, your report found that while support staff embraces flexible working hours, hybrid environments, their firms are 
tend to be much less keen on the concept. Could this attitude come back to bite them? Do you think? I, I do. Um, and <laughs> you know, it's, I'm not not stating that you know as a, as a declaration, but at the end of the day, the survey is telling us that 75% of support staff are embracing flexible work, and that's actually a significantly greater number than the broader survey. So the mid-tier staff really seem to be embracing it. So the employees want to continue to work in, in this kind of flexible environment or flexible arrangement. The firms are, are citing concerns about maintaining culture, uh, more so as we, we just spoke about, but more so in the mid-tier than, than the larger firms. But in the same breath, they're concerned about this transfer of knowledge or more concerned about this loss of knowledge uh, when they lose some of the staff. So significantly more, 50% greater focus here. So it, it kind of doesn't add up logically. So there's pressure on recruiting. The staff are saying, the existing staff are saying they want flexible work and the firms are concerned about this transfer of knowledge, but are, are not as keen to, uh, to allow flexible work to continue. So I guess the balance to me is um, the perception of maintaining culture in a remote world, which I think we would all agree is a real concern and the potential loss of staff if they don't allow them this, this flexibility. So, um, you know, those same staff can easily find a new home um, if somebody else is offering the flexibility they desire because it is such, such a hyper-competitive market. And again, if recruiting is this difficult, which I think we all agree that it is, clearly one firm's loss is another one's gain. So I think firms want to be able to be perceived or able to deliver on being kind of the employer of choice. And I think in, at the heart of it as well is, much like we're seeing in the associate ranks, you know, traditionally when associates were burned out, overworked, firms decided to spend, you know, spend a little more money, pay them a little more to keep them happy. But I think, you know, in, in what we've all learned over the last couple of years in this kind of COVID world or post-COVID world, hopefully soon, is that, you know, money doesn't solve all these problems for a lot of folks. And they're really looking for a more flexible way to work, you know, a, a little more quality of life. Um, mm-hmm. And they've gotten used to, you know, almost two years now of no commute. And uh, I think in a lot of cities, that's a big, big deal. For sure. For sure. I can tell you that from the Chicago area. (laughs) So something we see at ALA again and again is that small and mid-sized firms lack data about their operations, especially compared to to larger firms. Often this is due to a lack of bandwidth or a lack of infrastructure to collect and analyze this information. But Big Hand seems to argue in its report that knowing where these gaps exist and figuring out which support team structures perform the best is critically important to becoming an efficient agile business that importantly keeps its clients happy. Can you talk more about the report's conclusions about workflow data and support modernization? Yeah, absolutely. And again, I think it's probably less our argument and more the data's argument, but yeah, you know, there's, exactly. there's, an, there's an old um, adage that you can't manage what you can't measure. And you know, we didn't write that, but it's it's been around for a long, long time. I think um, right now, most firms kind of back office work is handled and what's a completely opaque process, it moves via email or somebody kind of hands it off if somebody's in the office, but no one, no one really knows, you know, who's busy, who has capacity, but more importantly, it's hard to understand, you know, who's busy with what, right? So do we have the right work in the hands of the right people? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a typical project that we engage with, you know, once we get underneath the data, we find that the most highly compensated, um, highly skilled staff are handling a whole bunch of work that, that doesn't require any legal expertise at all. And could easily be handled by by somebody at an entry level kind of clerical role. Senior support staff handle that work because in a relationship-based structure, it it kind of comes from their lawyers. Um, So I look after these lawyers and I do all the work. I've I've got air quotes going here, which nobody can see. Um, (laughs) But at the end of the day, you know, they kind of do all the work that, that their group of lawyers generates, which isn't probably the most effective way to do that. So, you know, kind of getting this work into a transparent system allows better decisions to be made around staffing and training and resource deployment. 
you know, I'll quote, I won't, I won't name them, but I'll quote one of our, uh, our customers at COO at an Amlot 10 firm. As we were uh, out initially talking to them about implementing our, our workflow software, he said that's something I, I've always remembered is that, you know, he's kind of sitting among his C-suite and they all rolled their eyes a little bit, but he said data removes emotion from, from our decision-making. And I thought, you know, it was pretty insightful. It, it really makes a good point. You know, these are tough decisions and, and changing, you know, work assignments and, and structure is, is not something to be taken lightly. More often than not, firms aren't downsizing. They're just, again, trying to get the best utilization out of the staff that they have. You know, if you think about it, support staff are typically the third largest expense in a law firm and very, very critical to the client experience. Uh, yet it's one of the areas that firms lack any level of hard data to make decisions with. So clearly there's a big opportunity here. Uh, I think the challenges that firms will face uh, with the loss of talent and the struggles to recruit are going to require that they take action. And, uh, you know, I think they would all agree that, that having data to inform those decisions versus kind of putting a finger in the air or just sticking with the status quo is, is going to be really, really critical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and when you mentioned that the, it's a, such a large expense, I mean, I think most legal administrators know the cost of, for example, their office down to the square foot. So mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> it would seem to be important to know that for per person, per team, that kind of thing. Yeah. It's funny when we, when we implement, and I guess I'm going to brag a little bit here, but it, <laughs> it, it's just, it's just uncovering data that, that doesn't previously exist. So when we're able to deliver that back to the firm, and by the way, we're not a consulting organization, right? We're not telling them what to do with the data. We're just we're just surfacing the data for them. But you know, when you talk about administrators and office level or, or regional level uh, administrators, they're like, "This is golden. You know, this is data I never had." And by the way, it helps uncover areas where capacity is available, human capacity, but it also helps uncover where where people are completely overworked, right? Mm-hmm. So the ability to understand how do I get that person help before I burn them out and, and they become part of my attrition. Um, is just as just as important as maybe somebody who's under underutilized. So linked to this is as technology, obviously. Um, the report indicates that mid-sized firms are actually ahead of the larger ones when it comes to implementing new workflow technology in the next two years. 70% of the mid-tier firms versus 45% of the larger firms. Does that surprise you at all considering some of the other data points? It did. Uh, <laughs> and I, I thought about this one a lot. And you know, unfortunately it's data, right? You, you, you don't know the whys all the time. But we know the what. So it, it was interesting to me. I think part of it may be that, that larger firms are further ahead and have already implemented workflow technology. So, you know, we've worked with a lot of the Amlaw 200 firms over the last couple of years. And I think there's kind of a recognition now that workflow technology can bridge many of the gaps with remote working and, and it, you know, kind of the, the legal industry, the law firm market has caught up with that. Um, so it, it's a well, it's a better known solution. Um, you know, this year at the, at the LA show, we had a lot of interest from, from smaller and mid-sized firms who mm-hmm. had kind of heard from their larger competitors or brethren, perhaps uh, about the success they've had. So if you think about the question, it, it's, it's looking forward over the next two years. So I think it may be a little bit that the mid-tier hasn't gotten there yet, but are planning to get there and that more of the larger firms maybe have already kind of made these uh, made these changes. I think also a lot of the firms we work with in the mid-tier are implementing the technology as part of a broader change to their support structure. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're just kind of not onto it yet because they're treating it as a bigger project. Um, and again, as, as I kind of alluded to earlier, a lot of firms in the larger scale have already moved away from relationship-based support, even kind of you know, pre-pandemic where they've moved to teams and centralization. And I think we're seeing a lot more of that in the, in the mid-tier. So again, the other point that I guess came out in the survey is that 80% of the large firms said they'd already made changes to their support structure 
prior to or, or up until the point of the, the survey, which was, was July of this year, uh, where only 55% of the mid-tier firms had, had made that any kind of change yet. So it may be that they're contemplating, again, kind of workflow technology as a, as a broader part of a bigger change. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And I know that ALA, for example, I think we have a white paper on this on this um, team structure topic mm-hmm. from, I don't know, maybe five years ago at this point. So yeah. it's definitely something that it seems like part of the overall conversation. So yeah, we did a, we did a webinar with a couple of firms, um, Hush Blackwell, Schiff Harden, about, geez, it might be almost a year ago now. And they've really shared very openly kind of the changes. Actually, it was Winston Strong, I apologize. But mm-hmm. they really shared um, very openly kind of the changes they made. It was through ALA. I know it's available um, as a recording. It was actually sponsored by the, the Gateway chapter, but really, mm-hmm. really insightful from people kind of boots on the ground who had made these changes and uh, what drove their decision making and, and kind of how they got it, got it done. So really, really useful, you know, for the LA community to, uh, to kind of be able to rely on their peers for such an open and great, you know, kind of guidance and how these changes can happen. Mm-hmm. And I will dig that one up and, and link to it for sure. <laughs> Very good. Finally, I mean, we've, we've talked, touched on all of these, these points, but can you just sum up why these elements together flexibility, data, reorganization, technology, um, even exploiting the opportunities presented by the past couple of the changes in the past couple of years are essential to running a competitive, profitable firm in 2022 and beyond. I know that's a big um, question. (laughs) It is. It's probably going to be a long answer, but let me see if I can keep it straight. So at the end of the day, um, one of the the bits that was kind of the good news of the survey, I guess, is that firms in the mid-tier generally stayed busier than their, their larger firms with regard to billable hours. So that, that to me was the good news. Uh, only 30% uh, of the firms between 50 and, and 100 lawyers said that they had a reduction in billable hours year to year, where 47% of the larger firms did, which that number really surprised me because you, you, you hear often about how busy lawyers are and, and how you know, they're, they're really kind of really stressed because demand is so high in, in the market right now. But you know, it's you know, there, there might be a piece of logic there that says they're working more, but they're billing less, which isn't a good place to be. So I think you know, for the time being, let, let's set aside the efficiency gains uh, that can allow firms to be more competitive and, and more cost effective. Um, but obviously, getting better utilization out of your teams and getting the right work to the right resource at the right cost, which is a bit of our mantra, is an obvious cost saving opportunity. So if we just set that aside. I think you know, generally, the pressure we see is this loss of institutional knowledge with the anticipated attrition and retirement numbers in the next few years. We know that staff want to continue to work in a flexible or or hybrid way. And the competition for talent is such that firms are going to be challenged at all levels of all sizes to allow flexible work to continue. And they're going to have to kind of deal with or or find ways to to maintain their culture, which is a real and genuine concern. Uh, Most firms would tell us that they struggled to understand utilization or performance of their back office staff when they were all in the office. So this isn't a new problem. It's just been challenged with remote working and, and you know, all that goes with that. We're seeing a lot of firms, as I said earlier, moving away from relationship-based support and, and trying to find ways to support that with technology. Because if they don't, if they just change the structure. Very often it falls flat on its face because lawyers and staff just revert back to old habits. So mm-hmm. you know, kind of wrapping these changes with effective technology, and, and that's self-promotion, apology. But the reality is you know, this is where we've seen firms make change and then kind of come to us post those changes and said, look, it didn't work without technology. You know, can you ramp us up really, really quickly? Cause we've already made the change and we're struggling. So, you know, underpinning this work with a proper workflow technology, it doesn't need to be ours. You know, there's other things on the market. 
can support this flexible work, which is also a bit of the carrot to get people on board is, you know, this system helps me understand and get work to you and, and, you know, give us transparency in what's going on. It also gives the lawyers a higher level of trust that they, their staff are busy and being utilized properly. So they're a little more open to maybe allowing that, that flexible work to continue. And then, of course, it gives you know, the firms the data they need to properly structure their teams and, and be able to evolve that structure as demand and, and the kind of complexion of what they're doing changes. So having that data to inform future decisions on staffing and training and assignments is, is really, really critical. And again, the system actually can also save the lawyer's preferences and, and get people teamed in, in a way that allows them to hand off this institutional knowledge that will be leaving the firms as these more tenured staff retire or move on to other things. So you wrap it all up, and I think it gets back to when you have relationship-based support, you're just completely in a silo. The number of firms that we've worked with that said just making these changes, getting the work into, an, into a transparent system um, has just made a world of difference for people's engagement. Um, and we have a, a great case study from DLA Piper who talked about one of the advantages that they got from the Big Hand software, which they didn't expect is they already had their kind of multi-level teams in place, but they found their junior staff were seeing the work in the system that they weren't qualified to do. And they were seeking out their peers at a higher level to say, can you train me and show me how to do that? Because they, they knew that work was out there and it was stuff they weren't qualified to do. So just, again, the, the benefits of transparency are, uh, are numerous. And that was probably a very long answer to what you, you called a long question. So I apologize for that. No, no, that was great. And I think, yeah, that's a, that's a benefit I wouldn't have foreseen either. And, mm-hmm. and, but as you think about it, it's a, it's a perfect, you know, extra plus for sure. That wraps it up for me. Do you have anything else that you want to talk about? Uh, that no. I didn't reference. No, uh, you put me through the ringer. Thank you. Uh, no, it was great, great chat. I really enjoyed it. And um, you know, again, I guess to the LA community, we enjoy our relationship uh, with the organization and the member firms, and we always just get a lot of value out of uh, out of our engagement. So happy to do events like this. If uh, if anybody listening wants to phone us up, ask a little bit about what we're doing or what we're seeing in the market, doesn't mean we're trying to sell you something. You know, we're happy to engage and, and share the knowledge that we we've gained over engagement with an awful lot of firms over an awful lot of years. So we really enjoy it. Great. Thank you so much for talking to me and thank you for being in uh, a relationship with ALA and ALA's members. Well, thank you, Kate. (laughs) Thanks. If our listeners want to learn more, uh, check the episode description. I'll link to where you can download the workflow trends report on Big Hand's website. I'll link to some of the other things we we referenced during our conversation. And Big Hand is even hosting a webinar on December 16th that you can register for. And thanks once again to our listeners and subscribers for tuning in. As always, you can learn more about ALA at alanet.org. Until next time. Bye.